Welcome everyone to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. Today as we count down towards the premiere of Daredevil on Netflix, only now less than a month away, Pete, we look back to the the noteworthy, monumental, and uh, altogether interesting Daredevil film starring Ben Affleck and others. And Pete, we just didn't watch the movie. We also watched the director's cut because that's the kind of care that if you don't know, listeners, that's the kind of care that Fantastic Geek uh, brings to brings to things. But first of all, hello, Pete. Yes. Hello, Matt. And uh, referencing what you just said before, I feel like I've gone 12 rounds with Matt Murdock's father, the devil. <laughs> uh, I feel like Kingpin himself has sat upon my face uh, because that would be hot <laughs> and it stunk. One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Matt, I think we will deal with these really. We'll deal with the main narrative and and where the director's cut meanders as it swells to 133 minutes compared to the (laughs) taut 103 minutes of the theatrical cult cut or cult if you want to go there too <laughs> we'll uh we'll we'll give you the the uh the flourishes and the uh the extras if you will so matt we have a different matt matt murdoch um the daredevil hell's kitchen son to a slain boxer uh, known as the devil who uh, things went uh, south for in his career and he turned to uh, shaking people down being a, uh, a lone shark or a, or a thug in, in Hell's Kitchen much to the chagrin of his son who catches him just before a sense altering accident at the workplace of his father and uh becomes a different person as a result of that pete he certainly does and much of that portion of the story is told uh via flashback because the film uh the film starts at a narrative high point director mark stephen johnson who if you don't know his work um daredevil ghost rider and uh other similarly not great stuff uh, he starts with a narrative high point. He starts in Medias Race. He starts in the middle of the story, and we then flash back to young Matt Murdock, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there is early on, by the way, uh, in fact, I think right after the title sequence, there's a rather lousy shot of a CGI rat. This a warning to all who continue watching that uh, though this movie came out after the first X-Men, the first Spider-Man, and The Matrix, and The Crow... And despite the fact that it pulls from all four movies, uh, it equals none of them. Yes. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned Spider-Man, this movie coming out in February of 2003, little less than a year after the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. We have the actor who will soon portray Batman in the sequel somehow to a Superman movie in some strangely unconnected comic universe. 
But here's the thing. How many times do we need to see the origin story again with a dead dad or father figure, Batman, Spider-Man, Daredevil? And as we move toward Daredevil on Netflix, while we will surely get the origin story has to be given to us there. I have every confidence it's going to be handled better than it was in this film. And Matt, that was one of the better things handled in this film. I'll be completely upfront for years. This movie has been a guilty pleasure. I lent Matt my theatrical cut DVD so that he could make his first rewatch watching the Director's cut, as we just concluded, was, Matt, your word was? Lugubrious. Yes, that. It was proof that the theatrical theatrical cut is better. Uh, I will mention, by the way, two, two fun facts. I remember being amused as a, a, as a younger man, seeing the advertisements in the movie theater, that this came out on Valentine's Day 2013. Because uh, what 2003. Says, 2003, I apologize. Yes, of course. Um, I also, I'm quite sure that I saw it in the movies. I uh, did see it in the movies. And I haven't seen it since. And now I've seen it twice in the last two hour, uh, 24 hours between the theatrical and the director's cut. And I am I am poorer for it. Basically, I think here here's the Netflix plan for the series. Don't do what they did in the movie ever. Um now the movie is handcuffed a bit in that um, they need to get this backstory in, so that necessitates some kind of flashback device. If you don't want to do it in direct chronological order, so then that necessitates a voiceover, which is usually uh, lazy storytelling, particularly for a movie. And you have to quick hurry up through the origin story because you can't spend forever with Kid Murdoch. You need to get back to Oscar winner Ben Affleck. Um, and his awful uh, cotton candy-like hair. Um, so, but that said, we don't feel that way in Batman. We don't feel that way no. in the Christopher Reeve Superman. We don't feel that way in Bat in uh, in the Christian Bale Batman. It's like they were adapting a novel. Those pacing problems that we all felt, where we love the novel of blank, and then there's a movie, and then they're speeding through portions of it. That's how this felt, except this is the same type of source material as all those other characters. So that's why I, I lay many a sin at Mark Stephen Johnson. Side note, uh, he is director of Ghost Rider. When I saw that, saw Ghost Rider in theaters. Uh, why? With, what's that? <laughs> why? Uh, I don't know. My, my, my then girlfriend and now wife and I spent about a year after seeing Ghost Rider, where anytime that there was some kind of digestive distress and, you know, you're... We would say, I, I have to go take a Ghost Rider because that's how bad the movie was. Wow. All right. Well, that story picked up. But, <laughs> um, you know, just on the, you know, we'll, we'll talk for a couple minutes here with the director's cut stuff. You know, mention the, the difference in length, a, a solid half hour more with that. But it's amazing how much some extra footage belabors the narrative here. Okay, seeing the theatrical cut and it is what it is. It, it has not aged terribly well in the no. uh, the 12 years since it came out last month, but it's even worse 
to watch yes. this this director's cut and you could see why they decided this doesn't need to be in there we'll talk particulars about what's in there in a little bit continuing to talk about our original narrative so Matt Murdock you know grows up he becomes a lawyer in Hell's Kitchen he has used his enhanced senses to bring justice both in the courtroom and on the streets of Hell's Kitchen in uh, cooperation with his buddy, Foggy Nelson, who we will also see in the Netflix series. Uh, there's an early um, uh, court case where uh, a, uh, a rape um, defendant gets off from a charge. And then uh, justice is served on the streets. It's um, there's a color by numbers nature to this movie that your whole description captured so well. He's a lawyer. His friend is a lawyer. So they need to do lawyer stuff. And Matt Murdock uses his, you know, enhanced hearing to kind of be a human lie detector. Thus, you need a lower level uh, criminal before you get to the kingpin and all of that to kind of demonstrate oh he's lying and so on and so forth and he's a lawyer and it's just it's very going through the numbers and I you know I'm sensitive to the fact that we, we must remember that this is a movie that is from early on in the comics comic book movie cycle that we've been in since X-Men uh, which is certainly my kind of delineation of, of, of when this kind of current crop started it's it's after X-Men, it's after the first Spider-Man, but it's not fully informed by them because the lessons that those movies taught have not been completely codified. Um, and as I said earlier, it's also kind of picking up whiffs of The Matrix and, and The Crow, I suspect. But mm -hmm. it doesn't do any of them justice. It's just plowing through story here. He's a lawyer, we have to show that. Uh, in a bit, or unless you want to talk about it now, when it's, you know, how... When he's you know back at the back at his daredevil apartment slash lair, you know, and it's it's kind of all in shadows and it's all the pain of daredevil. Not only is it the pain, it speaks to an extreme level of wealth. Like apparently, he's done well. Uh, Being a lawyer, know, doing like pro bono paces, and, yeah, and and you know, gear and everything like this, like that's never addressed. Where's this coming from? Matt is daredevil working for the kingpin. <laughs> I think it's just an example of the narrative laziness that Mark Steven Johnson brings to this movie that you're absolutely right. This is a guy who in maybe it hasn't been addressed at this point yet in the story. I know we haven't discussed it, but certainly right around here, References made to Mr. Lin, who we defended. He's paying us. He's paying us in fluke because he's a he fishes and he doesn't have a lot of money and all of that. Okay, that's great. Meanwhile, you're right. There are these secret hidden panels in, you know, Pete, you've lived in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when you're getting paid mostly in fish and doing pro bono work or doing like get out of traffic ticket kind of legal work, you can afford a, um, maybe not rooftop, but an upper level penthouse with hidden panels and a ton of square footage for maybe, what, $300 a month, $400 a month? 
I know what happened. He got paid in a super tricked out apartment and a uniform and customized superhero toys. There is some grateful lady who came to this country not completely understanding the laws of, uh, I don't know, um, uh, paying her taxes or something like that. That when he helped her out, she was so grateful that now she makes him specialized super Billy Club nunchaku uh, walking blind person cane tap, 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 twisteroo with an angel on the one hand and then the devil. See, these are all the things where other movies, Spider-Man, for example, shows you, oh, his first suit is wah-wah, lousy. And then you're in on the joke because they're taking it to reality. Where's this kid going to get a suit from? And they play it for a joke. And then what do they do? They then, the movie with the audience, gloss over. So where does he get the final suit from? The movie says, I don't know. It's time for Spider-Man. And we all go, okay, cool. You addressed how ridiculous it is. Now let's go on and have the fun. This is saying, no, we're we're reality-based except for all these things which aren't reality-based. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's holdovers from the comics, the super hearing as a lie detecting tool. Okay, you get that once in the theatrical cut. Matt, it was so overused in those extra tack on 30 minutes in the director's cut to where it is a plot device of, oh, Dirty cop has a pacemaker. So no wonder I thought he was telling the truth before his robot heart was lying. (laughs) Well, and speaking of his hearing, Pete, here's a quote right out of the movie that let's deconstruct for 30 seconds. My sense of sound gave off a kind of radar. So let's stop right there. Pete, do people have a sense of sound? No, Matt. Hearing is a sense Sound is a sound. Okay. Now, so maybe he means my sense of hearing. Okay, fine. He does. I think the writer did a bad job. (laughs) Can one's sense of hearing give off radar? No, that would be sonar. (laughs) Furthermore, it's not like his ears are sending out a sound and then receiving them back again. I didn't see any of that happen. (laughs) So... I know what they mean, which is they want to get to his radar sense, but it's a nonsensical statement. Um, Nor is it eloquent writing. Just like speaking of the lack of eloquent writing, we have references to uh, various baddies or, or minor characters, Bendis, Romita, and Crud. There was a third one. Casada. Casada. All Marvel people, which, look, as we've said many, many times before, if you're a, a longtime Fantastic Geek fan, and if you're not, welcome um you know we are not deeply steeped in the comics uh history of a lot of these marvel characters we're certainly aware of them but again maybe it's just a product of the time that it's so on the nose to be mentioning these people there's a frank miller cameo at one point but it's just a little too cute if you're in the know and if you're not it is valueless so it's that too is kind of miss uh mistimed um, by the way, Pete, speaking again of the writing, um, and you kind of referenced this earlier with you know dead parents, how about um, the thing that makes our hero is, uh, 
is when the main bad guy kills our hero's parent slash parents. Joker, Kingpin. It's just this is a this is just a um a pastiche of other movies. It is, and that's not a bad thing. It's the way it's handled is not particularly well done or drawing you in, you know, uncle Ben being murdered and the guilt that, um, Peter Parker carries with him over that has to be among the better examples, Batman and the brooding that goes along with that. Well done this, your jerk dad who came back to the light side died and had a rose placed on his chest. And by the way, Matt, when you grab a rose in anger over your father's dead body. You mean the rose petals? Or, you know, maybe even at least part of the thorn on the bottom of the rose. Okay. Do you bleed like a stuck pig? Because it was like Matt, child Matt Murdock had a handful of bees. (laughs) It's... There's example after example after example where this movie is not subtle, unlike the movies being made around the same time, the comic book movies being around the same time, where they are self-referential, they're having fun with themselves, but they're also treating things as serious as possible. They're going for, you know, the, the you know, in the X-Men movie, there's this very intentional, in the background, a very intentional kind of shading of Professor X is Martin Luther King in terms of his his approach, and uh, and uh, Magneto is Malcolm X. So th- these other movies are are reaching for higher heights. And as you said, when you do death of parent, or in the case of Uncle Ben, you know, kind of de facto parent, when you do that well, then you don't sit there and go, you know, Uncle Ben's death is basically the same to Bruce Wayne's death, irregardless of whether it's canon whether it's part of the comic story or not you don't think of it if it's just emotionally pulling you in with this it was just like all kingpin needed to do was to say hey jack murdoch have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight bang bang or punch punch i can even take the visual motif of the rose which was one of the better through lines here but i'm so taken out of that by the copious blood spilt by our child protagonist. And by the way, I, I just have to mention, you know, him running into, uh, you know, the, the, the only Caucasian bully in the, uh, in the alley there, there, there were, uh, two African American sub bullies, but, uh, you know, cameo by, uh, AJ Soprano, Robert Eiler, really in one of the uh, only things he ever did out of, outside of Sopranos, and I think we know why. And in the director's cut, Matt, maybe the best thing about the director's cut, he was slapped again and again on the side of the face by Daredevil's cane. So score one for the director's cut. So Pete, after Daredevil has killed uh, uh, the, the rapist Casada which is a bit difficult to say, having seen Joe Casada, the real one at uh, Comic-Con and whatnot. Not a rapist. Not a, Indeed. Uh, a lovely guy by all accounts. Um, and again, I just want to stress, kind of within the narrative, of course, but you know, here, here Daredevil has 
effectively killed him, left him on the train tracks as the the sea train is coming. Um, That's not heaven. <laughs> it's the sea train. Um, the police eventually show up. The area is cordoned off. And then, Pete, you as a former journalist, I'm inter- interested for you to uh, to illustrate to our to our listeners here. Uh, ben Ulrich, the reporter for The Post, shows up. He waves that magic yellow press pass that requires him to not stop uh, at, at any police line, go under the tape. Police officers see it and, st- and get away from him. You've been a reporter in New York. Uh, tell me more about that pass. Are they all yellow? Is that just the post that has the magic kind of kind of cross any line pass? The uh, the press passes and badges vary in every shape and color. What they don't do is get you into an active police crime scene, let alone one where a reporter will then flick a cigarette or a match onto uh, fuel or some other combustible source that will then spark into the trademarked logo of the protagonist of the film. Which calls into question a couple of things there. A, uh, what type of fuel does Daredevil carry around? Does he carry around like a like a water bottle of gasoline? Is it starter fluid? Um, second, where does he keep it? Third, how much? Fourth, and this is something I would put out to our listeners here, I have heard that you can't use a cigarette butt to to, to light um to light gasoline having uh having having not touched the tobacco weed and uh having not played with gasoline since i was about 10 years old uh, i don't know i would be curious be curious to hear i can't help you there with the with the gasoline but uh yes he's it's it, it was strange seeing joey pants in this movie, now he has more scenes in the director's cut than the theatrical, mm-hmm. um, but it's like they had to have this character here because he's part of the comics. But I'm not quite sure what service he had except for trying to find out who Daredevil is, which is very kind of like, hey, I remember that same character from Batman, and he was more interesting. And yet another reason why I'm looking forward to the Marvel Netflix take on the reporter character and what we're going to get out of that. Absolutely. It's at this point in the story that we're introduced to the love interest in Electra Nachios, played by then up-and-comer Jennifer Garner. Um, It's largely... An effective introduction, Matt. I know there was one thing that took you out of the introduction before we get to the playground, which took everybody out. <laughs> yeah, she shows up in the least opaque, least real-looking green uh, contact lenses that I've ever seen. To the point that for a moment, I thought that we were in a, a Robert Rodriguez Sin City type movie. The color is so striking and so flat and so lacking any of the any of the see-through nature that skin and eyes and hair have as, you know, natural things in the real world. It's just like it was like looking at, at green green discs inserted upon her eyes and it was just very very strange and uh, took me out of the movie. And of course, further the fact that she's a complete uh witch to a guy who's like, yeah, I'm blind. Can you just tell me where the honey is? Which pro- probably a metaphor, but we don't need to go there. Um, but Pete, take us 
down to the playground. Well, it's you bring up the on-screen chemistry, and I, I do think it's no surprise that Affleck and Garner eventually wound up married to one another. I do think they have a chemistry that's palpable on screen. But I know, Matt, let's put them on a playground as Ben Affleck files this uh, appeal for more of Electra's time, which culminates in a teeter-totter battle and children chanting, fight, 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 like when something would happen in the cafeteria at school when we were little kids. Yes, this, of course, being being done uh, in what I like to call the karate dance fall in love. Um, he also comes apart a little... Um, Rapey is probably one notch too far, but not by much. The fact that he keeps grabbing her and she's like, I'm going to leave now. And he's like clutching her hand tightly and like, aren't you going to tell me your name? It's it's a gentleman doesn't do that. A gentleman, you know, a, a, when when you're told to shove off, Buster, a gentleman, a gentleman listens or at the very least doesn't start a grabbing. Um, and side note, he probably wants to be careful about the grabbing because uh, um in addition to the the weird contact lenses, um, she's also, uh, I think, was underserved by the wardrobe department because both her tank top and her upper undergarment appear to be one size too small, particularly in this fight scene. Um, and I know that because both of them take off their jackets at the same time as they face each other because it's going to be a funny. Yes, and she puts a weird move on when she's shedding her denim jacket, which which came across as a half-choreographed dance move. And speaking of choreography, any movie made this close to After the Matrix, and I believe this movie came out uh, a couple of months before Matrix 2 and you know, 12 months or whatever before Matrix 3. No. But certainly, no? No. Uh, oh, because Matrix... 3 was about six months later? Correct. In November? Yes. I, I went to see it at the worldwide release time. I took off took off from school. Anyhow, um, this certainly is a movie in the shadow of the first Matrix movie. If you are going to have your heroes karate dance fall in love and you're going to make them do the karate part, um, they need to choreograph more than Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner did because it wasn't at full speed. And it was a lot of like, like it looked like it was them training and i get that it's really hard to do i get that on the matrix they trained five or six days a week full time for five months just doing martial arts and i get that that's an incredible investment of time and energy and so on and so forth if you can't have your actors do it then don't have them karate dance fall in love have them do something else like maybe dance and fall in love or not karate on teeter-totters in a playground like just dial it back a little bit but uh yeah it's at this point that we're introduced to the character of the Kingpin, the big bad in the movie, played by Michael Clark Duncan, the late great Michael Clark Duncan. And um, after the introduction, we well, get a Pete on the top. Can I just point out something about yeah. the topic of the introduction? Um, the the handsome, capable Michael Clark Duncan apparently needs to be introduced with blaze and hip-hop and R&B because, you know. And apparently the movie felt that those 
Two things must go together. Look, there's a black man. Let's drop a beat. Okay. That's just the choice. That's the choice they went with. I don't know that that would have been my choice, but I'm no Mark Stephen Johnson. There's a thread in his original introduction in the theatrical cut where there's been an article about the kingpin and references made to somebody's talking. And then we go right to um, Mr. Nachios. The assumption being because he wants out and he feels pangs of conscience that perhaps it's never definitive. He was the one telling tales out of school. What's done in the director's cut really for no other reason than gratuitous violence is discussion about the Romans. I believe it was cutting the tongues out of their servants and bodyguards so they could not talk, at which point Kingpin then, for no reason whatsoever, kills his two bodyguards. One, he smashes with his giant um, pimp-like cane, <laughs> and uh, the other, he just picks up uh, one-handed chokes, and then using his hand, snaps the guy's neck. Perhaps, Pete, I'm just throwing this out here off the top of my head, perhaps the 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 genesis of that was to show his vaguely superhuman strength but not you know over the top but his his strength his malice and whatnot but it just comes off as now you, look I, I get that he's a bad guy guess what these two bodyguards they probably you know filled out w-2s as bodyguard security for kingpin enterprises or whatever, whatever the name of the the fisk enterprise fisk enterprises and all now you got to get rid of these guys make them disappear take them to the trash dump it's just why you could have had him lift up something really heavy instead, like a bunch of tires or something. And Mr. Nachios sees the remains of this conflict before he has this extraordinarily tense conversation with the kingpin. It's nice seeing that actor. I know him from uh, from the Mummy movies, as I'm sure many people do. He's he's made the rounds in a variety of ways. Um, he is a good casting choice there. I buy him as, as Greek, obviously he kind of plays more of a, a Middle Eastern role in the mummy. Um, good screen presence, good kind of charisma, the, the fear in his eyes I buy. And, um, and, uh, he's a good addition. And of course, Pete, who is going to off him? Well, the Kingpin wants his toady Wesley to get him bullseye. And I think in the most effective introduction in the film, we have Bullseye pounding a pint in a pub while he's throwing darts absentmindedly each time scoring a hymn. Pete, it is an effective introduction there. Uh, It's a little on the nose, but you know what? We are here to have fun. This is a comic book movie. Uh, you know, the fact that he has this this fantastic aim is great. Um, the fact that he's, you know, he the, the, the pub owner, you know, is like, you know, crazy drunken Irishman, at which point the crazy drunken Irishman throws bits of uh, paperclip into the guy's neck, incapacitating him after he's been drinking, made me wonder, are we kind of going a little one-dimensional here where the crazy drunken Irishman is a crazy drunken Irishman? But I don't know. What is up with Bullseye's Bullseye? It's not a tattoo. 
Is it a branding? Is it a carving? Is it some strange thing no one's ever had? The reality-driven thing, by the way, what's up with skull-capped bad guys in this movie? We've had um, Murdoch's father wear one when he was shaking guys down. We had uh, Murdoch family doppelganger dad wear one that we'll handle a little later on. And when he's introduced in the pub, Bullseye is wearing one, which works. We don't ever need to see this dumb circular pattern on his forehead. That's just creepy and strange. Uh, I completely agree. And I don't, uh, I'll admit, I don't know the origin of the comic book character in terms of, um, in terms of, Having having that mark on his head, I know uh, you can pretty easily find pictures where he's wearing a, a, a cowl that has a bullseye uh, thing on there. I don't know if it's reference to that. Um, it is very strange because it's it's in a movie that is trying to ground itself in you know kind of that street level hero uh, aesthetic, which is Daredevil, um, and I mean you know Kingpin not. Not so strong that it's inhuman, no pun intended. It's just Michael Clark Duncan is a big guy. I think they have him standing a little higher, you know, whether it's lifts in his shoes or standing in a box or whatever, just to raise him even more. And you go, that is a giant dude with giant muscles. I believe he could do that. Same thing with Bullseye. It's kind of pushing pushing reality a little bit, but it's not impossible that he could have this great aim. But then why is there this thing in his forehead? It's not, as you said, it's not explained. It's a scar or a a branding of some sort and it just goes un unmentioned he'll just kind of like rub it occasionally like he'll rub his cheek and rub his forehead and bullseye and it's like okay so i don't know quite what to make of it it's around this time that the the gristle of the director's cut emerges the biggest piece is the defense of a man played by rapper Coolio. Yes. And what does one say? He's been accused of killing the friendly neighborhood hooker. Uh, Daredevil listens to his heart. This this man who repeatedly says, I was really too high to know what was going on. And Daredevil determines that he's innocent. Just want to point something out, Pete. Because this this uh, character played by Coolio because he feels innocent does not mean that in some sort of crystal meth rage he didn't kill the hooker. Just want to point that out here. However, Matt Murdock, Matt Murdock is completely sure that he's innocent with a capital I as opposed to believes himself to be innocent. And as the director's cut was a first watch for each of us just now, this references a previous scene where Matt was getting into his deprivation tank nighty night routine and through the sonar abilities saw the same woman who was murdered reaching out for help. And he came to the conclusion, I can't save them all. I got to get me some Z's man. And it appeared in that scene as he's listening that 
in what is clearly meant to be autistic flourish to the audience but she appears to be in the same room as him as he's hearing her so it's a very weird thing and as you say he just says no then gets into that water deprivation tank thing which is also i don't know how you sleep in it without you know all of a sudden you 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 go to roll over and now you're drowning and i get that he wants the deprivation you just can't put on like a pair of pair of beats or something man uh but i I, they didn't have beats yet well you know what? It, you're darn it. We have Doctor. We have Coolio. We just need Doctor Dre before too long. Um, it's all just. It's Coolio's all just very weird. Ear clams. <laughs> They're awesome. Um, Pete also added uh, to to this portion of the story with the director's cut is um, there's Bullseye getting onto the plane. What does he have with him in 2003? Every, you know, airline security on everybody's mind. Well, he has. A, a a toothpick he has a ballpoint pen now the fact that his he's got sunglasses still on oh he he can keep those on the fact that he has his his you know uh tons of earrings in his ear they don't even wand that they don't even take a take an extra look the fact that his jacket and shoes remain on is just the biggest bit of story baloney now i know that we don't need to you know have have uh bullseye's story be a detailed look at TSA security post 9-11. I get that. But it, it is pushing credulity when he just wanders on through and, oh, he sets the metal detector off and they wand him and go, oh, it's his belt. Yeah, his belt where he keeps weapons. Guess what? They would have just taken a little extra look. But they didn't. And the paperclip in his mouth. And on top of all of this, Matt, in what is a gratuitous scene, is the obnoxious, jumpy way in which just this scene alone was shot the camera shaking left and right indeed and uh, we of course have more on the plane is it is it immediately after that or is it in a little bit or should we talk about it now in which he kills an old woman well that was in the uh, that was in the original cut indeed indeed. uh, with the with the peanut which which serves character there we get the dead prostitutes apartment break-in scene after the paperclip in mouth boarding the airplane scene uh yes because you know murdoch and foggy why are they breaking into the dead prostitutes rather spacious home because you know lawyers yes because they care they are above the law they care um now, we are meant to believe the whole time that Foggy Nelson has no idea that Matt Murdock is Daredevil or has any superpowers, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the movie does a good job of expressing that, except for in this scene when Matt is on the floor going, ammonia, ammonia nitrate, blood, blood was shed here. And, and then whatever the proper name is for gunpowder, it's gunpowder. She was shot here, then dragged outside to make it look like, and it's like, oh, geez, like how... Ah, at least at least we know why this scene was cut i'll give them credit there it was just over the top in terms of like well well, gee whiz miss lane i i don't know how they could have missed us with all those bullets which i caught because i'm superman like it was just they, they they dialed it back a little bit but pete where does the story go next well i mentioned it before the murdoch family doppelganger matt is pursuing more justice here on the streets of hell's kitchen and he sees 
a man shaking down another man. This reinforcing the Kingpin storyline that the kitchen belongs to the Kingpin now. And after Matt has chased him back to his apartment and knocked him out, a child, probably the kid that didn't get the job of the actor who played little (laughs) Matt Murdock, Matt Murdock, number two, or the runner up cowers in front of the stove. Don't hit me. Don't hit me. And this is where Matt is left telling him and then himself on the rooftop, I'm not the bad guy. It is, to use a word of yours from before, it is narrative gratuitousness. It's just saying angst. They misunderstand him. And it's just too It's This whole scene is too much. The whole like enforcer is beating up guy and then there's silhouetted shadow of the shadow of daredevil and the guy looks at the shadow then slowly turns around it's just all it's all too much and and at least we know why it was cut and at this point pete we are not even at the halfway mark of the movie <laughs> at least to well, the director's cut things are progressing with electronachios matt murdoch has received a plus one to the black and white ball he brings uh foggy uh wilton fisk is in the hizzy yes as uh as noted uh by uh by foggy nelson when when uh, fisk shows up because it's the thing that you say in polite society apparently when uh a an african-american gentleman walks in you say the guy is in the hizzy because that's not a little bit racist uh, says the guy who wanted to be Matt Murdock's plus one instead of letting him bring Meredith Grey, a.k.a. Um, Ellen Pompeo. And Ellen Pompeo, who is playing the secretary character. Um, Karen. Karen. There you go. Karen Page. Um, you know, because Foggy Nelson would rather. Yeah. So it's 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 all just a strange little bit of story there. But uh, there they are at the the black and white tie affair thing for movers and shakers of stuff and things and this scene functions effectively as the checkout for uh electra's father we heavily foreshadow his death the kingpin gives him a rose just saying goodbye old friend he knows it's coming we all know it's coming leads to the confrontation for the first time between daredevil and bullseye on the street and Bullseye winds up getting at least one of, although it's confusing the way it's presented, <laughs> one of the Daredevil's special baton cane thingamabobs <laughs> and uses sound against Daredevil so that he can't grab it. And Mr. Nachios takes this thing to the chest and Electra is left erroneously feeling that this daredevil who she does not know is Matt Murdock has killed her father. Here's the prop count for the scene. Um, there's a certain point where, where bullseye is knocked off his motorcycle. I believe it is, or there's some sort of daredevil and bullseye pass. He made me miss. I never miss. And then daredevil reaches for his baton and uh there's nothing there we sure it's not a truncheon (laughs) it might be a truncheon um and then bullseye says are you looking for this singular and he takes the baton and throws it 
downfield in order to hit uh papa taco nacho nachos whatever in the nachos chest <laughs> so daredevil has nothing in his little side satchel pocket thing his 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 baton quiver um it goes past him because there's an explosion a well-timed explosion that makes it that he can't hear it with his sonar that his ears make uh as explained earlier in the movie so he misses it it hits papa nachos and um then at that point uh uh electra picks up a gun and starts shooting at daredevil who uses his baton but not the baton that that's in dad's chest but the baton that he didn't have a minute ago and he kind of you know zip zap zoops up the side of the building and he's gone so in the course of the scene he has both no baton one baton and two batons that aside matt i have an idea Let's completely crush the momentum of the scene in the director's cut by then interjecting a court scene with Coolio on the stand where he three times by my count makes reference to being too under the influence of uh, the marijuana plant at the night of the murder and Foggy working alone and unable to read Matt's braille notes as Matt is away attending the funeral of the father of his new girlfriend. Showing Foggy Nelson to be an incompetent lawyer who cannot be prepared, um, who has not prepped the witness to be like, hey, don't talk about smoking the blunt. And uh, when I ask you questions about using uh, a handgun, let's not then, Coolio character, break into a monologue about how it's much easier to use a shotgun. Um because clearly you haven't practiced this with your witness before. I don't expect witnesses of, of every uh, you know social strata and education strata to understand the finer points of what you do and do not say in a court case. But maybe you should have practiced this with him once or twice, which clearly he has not. So this Favreau guy, I don't know. He's playing a character. He's going nowhere. I don't know. Whatever happened to that Favreau anyway? Not sure. It's just a, it, it's a jungle, man. From one filmmaker to another, we get a Kevin Smith, local New Jersey uh, product, Kevin Smith cameo. Kevin Smith, who had some to do with the Daredevil comics at one point. Now he's just like a director and a comic book man. Um, Kevin Smith, to be fair, Kevin Smith, who let Ben Affleck sleep on his couch uh, for many many months back when they were when they were barely known and just starting out and uh kevin smith was the one by the way who uh stressed to miramax and stressed to the weinsteins these two guys have this script for goodwill hunting you have to take a look at it it's good stuff so nice to see playing homage to kevin smith there who has helped matt my name and uh ben affleck irreparably so he calls up uh, Joe Pantoliano's uh, Ben Ulrich journalist character as a coroner. Hey, you told me to, to call you if I found something weird. This is weird. The murder weapon turns into a blind person's cane. So Ulrich effectively now knows who the daredevil is. Especially since the only time we've ever seen Matt Murdock drop his, uh, his cane was right in front of Earl Ulrich, who then picked it up and looked at it and noted its uniqueness in uh, what was another example of narrative, maybe not gratuitousness, but narrative clunk, clunk, clunkiness. 
Pete, moving ahead here in the narrative, uh, there had been a court case scene where the cop whose whose heart showed he wasn't lying um, in this whole Coolio case. Um, it turns out he has a pacemaker and he is crooked. And, oh, you, I'm one of a hundred crooked cops because that's a great message to have. A, you know, a couple of years after nine eleven, that New York cops are awful. It's no, no, no need to snip, snip the story there to fit, you know, fit anything. But anyhow, I digress. Um, looking ahead to the series, Pete, do you think that the show, you know, the series will have something like Crooked Cops? Let's not forget New York is putting money into the show, whether it's after the fact with tax breaks or that sort of thing. Uh, or do you think we're, we're going to kind of avoid that sort of stuff? I think we will definitely see that employed in the show. The idea of corruption, particularly with the more gritty nature of the presentation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Certainly, I don't. I don't think. I don't think New York would want to be. Uh, oh, you know, like limiting stories. Particularly, I just know sometimes there's those. You know, maybe not strings attached, but there's kind of the there's an implicitness to it. But speak, uh, Pete. Speaking of uh, some of the bonus stuff, we get double the Pompeo in the director's cut. We do not only double the Ellen Pompeo, Meredith Gray, we also get more of Leland Orser's Wesley, who is implicated by the crooked cop as the one that he took his direction from, which links him to the kingpin, all of which results in uh, Coolio being found innocent. So thank God, Matt, he's not sent to jail so that Coolio could in 2014 begin the next chapter of his career by writing a rap song for a porn website. You know what? It's all connected. (laughs) And um, I don't know where to take it from there. I mean, this is such, such a... Such a stew of parts mixed together and kind of eventually at some point spit out. I mean, I don't, I mean, we have, we have the daredevil bullseye final fight. We then have the daredevil kingpin final fight. Great to see kind of Michael Clark Duncan, you know, taking off the jacket, showing the muscles, which is, you know, part of the the kingpin aesthetic. Interesting line when he sends, uh, sends, um, uh what's the the what's his little helper friend's name wesley when he sends wesley away to show that it's authentically new york shot in los angeles he you know what do you mean send the bodyguards away says wesley and he says i'm from the bronx you wouldn't understand all right i get it the bronx is tough etc etc really everybody in the bronx is prepared to fight daredevil to the end like come on the bronx no thonks (laughs) So, Pete, I don't know where you want to take it from here. I mean, we end up with with Kingpin defeated, our hero who has only killed one guy by a train, or at least not by helping him, uh, who could have killed Bullseye by knocking him out of a window, but miraculously, Bullseye's okay. Bullseye will return. Um, He chooses not to kill the Kingpin because you hear those sirens? Word about the Kingpin is out. They're coming for you. And what we're given in the director's cut is a scene of him in an orange jumpsuit, which we did not previously get. And the idea that a sequel, had it been pursued, would essentially been more of the same, more of these bad guys and probably others. Because Matt, in the 
early 2000s and late you know 20th century every time you made a successive sequel whatever the number of that sequel was was the number of bad guys you must <laughs> include in the movie so spider-man 3 you need three bad guys uh, i think that goes all the way back to the first batman movie where jack nicholson was so good that to equal him you had to have two people in two and so forth um I don't recall whether it was director's cut or theatrical cut, but at the end of that, at the end of that uh, fight with Kingpin, and I think it's director's cut, references made to like, "Well, I'm going to prison. I'll get out one day." And Daredevil's like, "And I'll be still here one day." And it's like, as you said, we're setting up a sequel where Daredevil fights Kingpin, and then we see towards the end of the movie, Bullseye is still alive, and because he's apparently like. OCD, he doesn't like the fly buzzing around, uh, so he kills the fly with a hypodermic needle because Bullseye still got it. So Daredevil 2 will return with Daredevil versus Kingpin and Bullseye. That sounds great. Uh... Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this Daredevil movie, Matt? Well, certainly, I mean, bad guy, beginning, middle, end, and into the future is Kingpin. Kingpin, who uh, is actually behind all the shenanigans uh, uh, concerning the guy who works for the guy who works for the guy who works for Kingpin, and Jack Murdoch, the guy who delivers the fatality to Jack Murdoch, who is plaguing the city as part of Fisk Enterprises. Um etc etc and um he's definitely tippity top of the list i like that the marvel netflix daredevil is going to go back to the kingpin from everything that we've seen so far in the trailers and a little bit more that i've seen it's a more complex character matt we're even going to get a love story this property seems to be better suited towards the longer narrative structure of television than X-Men and Spider-Man because you don't have those particularly fantastic powers to to fill the story. And because Daredevil, by every aspect of his being, either where he's practicing law or the clientele with which he's, he's uh, practicing law... Um, or his bad guy who's kind of more of the, you know, industrial, behind-the-scenes crime. It's not, you know, here's my meteor array. Um, it's better suited for that longer storytelling because you don't have laser beam eyes and changes the weather and swings from building to building with webs. It's a little less fantastical. Um, so it'll be nice to see this kind of slow rollout. I know that the the series has teased that there might be times that we are with that we are with Wilson Fisk um or we're on his side uh which I welcome we don't need to have complete you know i am evil because i shall destroy the city i like that and the complexity of a bad guy like that is is certainly welcome matt from uh more complex to less complex bullseye Bullseye is a fun, I mean, look, if it was a James Bond movie, he would kind of be, you know, the odd job. 
in that regard, okay, nothing wrong with it. But given that he is a bad guy tasked with supporting much of the narrative and much of the story um, because Kingpin is in the background and, and so on and so forth, the movie does not do justice by kind of making him so singularly crazy. I miss. I never miss. Oh, man. Someone is being not even rude somebody is breaking social etiquette by talking too much on an airplane so i'm going to shoot a peanut in her mouth until she passes out which i guess means she suffocated and died okay i mean that that as you said earlier that mo- uh, moment on the plane served the character illustrated uh you know our knowledge about the character and so forth but he's kind of so like oh oh man i can't handle anything and, and and i never miss it's just a little one note and it's a one note that's carried well throughout the story as opposed to as i said you're kind of james bond sidekick villain um you're james bond henchman where they can be more one note because they're next to the guy who's monologuing about taking over the world or or whatever it's a chance for colin farrell to really chew up the scenery um at the same time there were some odd choices there are weird grimaces there's a moment there as the little old lady that he's just shot his peanut into her mouth is dying that he's almost like enjoying it. Um, so some interesting choices, certainly. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I lay all of this and I don't I don't mean to be mean. But I lay all of this at the feet of the director, Mark Stephen Johnson, who I'm sure is a lovely guy. Um, I enjoyed his scripts of Grumpy Old Men and Grumpier Old Men, uh, enjoyable movies. Uh, he's directed Simon Birch, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, When in Rome, and something called The Killing Season, which I'm not familiar with off the top of my head. I just, oh, apparently it's De Niro and Travolta. Had not heard of it. Anyhow, I just think that this might have been a movie um, made at the wrong time because, the, as I said earlier, the lessons taught by movies before it hadn't been completely understood in terms of comic book movie uh, adaptations. Also, the fact that comic book movies tend to attract a greater pedigree of director, um, perhaps he was not well suited for it. Maybe he was just directing the script that was given to him, and this is just a product of Marvel doesn't, Marvel's co-producing this, but it's also a 20th Century Fox joint, and nobody really knows quite how to make these. And as I said, it's just it's a weird time where it's not like, hey, one X-Men movie will be able to do more. And it's got it's got all these recognizable people. This is just it's a different class of character, it's a different class of script, it's a different class of directing. And Colin Farrell, who otherwise I have I mean, I haven't seen the majority of his work they've seen enough of colin farrell to know he's better than this movie this film was no doubt shotgunned through the development process because of other marvel properties we've mentioned before like spider-man like the x-men franchise and it's a tougher comic character to get right that Marvel is using it as the flagship of their Netflix endeavor is a smart move. It needs to be done given that it wasn't done really well in one feature film. 
stepping back and telling this over initially 13 episodes in a season, I think is only going to make for better storytelling. I think too, I mean, there's no, there's no shame in this not having been a great movie. That is what it is. I think that if you were to put this against some of the blade movies, the the blade movies are probably more enjoyable, but they're probably not two times as good as daredevil. Um, I think that this is also an interesting kind of, kind of, um, uh, I mean, obviously it's a previous attempt, but in, in that how it informs the series, like we have yet to see the red suit teased for the series. Our assumption is they're just holding it back and it's under lock and key and that most of the first season he'll be in the red suit. That's your assumption. Oh, uh, well, fair enough. That is, that is indeed my assumption. Um, the fact that the suit looks so bad in this movie but they didn't do spandex they did kind of they did this logical thing of well let's do something that has a, that's a little bit harder okay well, that takes us to leather um there's going to be a lot of on and off with the with the cowl so let's make that a separate headpiece uh, you know as opposed to say the spider you know all the spider-man movies cheat where it's all one piece and i don't know how the costumers have taped it together or whatever that appears to be all one piece then when he needs to take it off oh it's just like a little mask like you know you pull the stocking cap over your head and then when he puts it on oh it's then perfectly on one piece fine they they they, they do it a little bit more realistic the end result is he's got his collar up his little like face covering hat motorcycle helmet thing um i would even go so far as to say that the horns look off and i don't know how you fix that because they're they're proportional to what they should be in the comic. It's just there's a lot here that I think is informing what not to do. And that's a good thing. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Well, Pete, I have a theory. I have a theory that uh, whoever decided to excise the 30 minutes of um, extra Karen Page, all Coolio, the cop framing Coolio, um, Matt Murdock driving the cop's uh, Mercedes to scare him, whoever that person was, was a darned genius. They were. Pete, I have another theory, uh, and it's something I learned from this movie. Great parents let their blind children play on the roof uh, all the time. Um, or conversely, it was really weird how apparently young Matt Murdock taught himself karate um, by playing on the roof and jumping around on the little sign structure that was up there, kind of skateboarding down the sides of metal overhangs and whatnot um the fact that the series sticks with what i believe is is comics canon or at least was introduced to the comics at some point that he is taught the martial arts by a martial arts expert uh that that'll be a welcome change i could see why they didn't do it for the movie because you want to get through the whole kid bit and get to ben affleck uh with his awful awful hair which by the way in the raining scenes his I, I don't need to monologue about his hair. His hair is awful in this movie and not kind of like that, like, ooh, it's messy, but it's sexy. No, it's just awful hair. It looks like he's literally a blind person who doesn't know how to do his hair, which is not what I should be thinking when I'm looking at 
the otherwise capable and handsome Ben Affleck playing the hero of the movie. I shouldn't be thinking he looks like he has blind man hair or he's homeless. So, Matt, we know where Matt Murdock gets his powers, although we don't know what he got hit with. The chemical, the biohazard labeled barrels that triggered the uh, thing. So hopefully in the uh, Daredevil TV show, at least we'll get a chemical name or thingamabob that increases, uh, you know, your senses, et cetera, et cetera. We know where uh, Wilson Fisk gets his powers, probably some barbells. Indeed. Where does Bullseye get the ability to throw darts, paperclip fragments, fling peanuts, even pieces of stained glass? Where does that come from? His strange branding thing on his forehead is it an extra eye does he <laughs> see in 3d he may he may have he may have though his third eye may be blind he may somehow use it to see um i know having looked on the wikipedia that uh in the comics he has no um superhuman powers it's just he's really really good at aiming and angles and that sort of thing um the problem is the movie stretches it one step past what normal humans can do. You mentioned the, the stained glass there. Uh, he's thrown through a smaller window, and then as the pieces shatter up and then are coming down, he's kind of Wile E. Coyote style going, zoop, 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 pulling pieces out of the air. Then he turns around and kind of like, listeners, if you can imagine that motion that you make when you warm your hands. Now imagine you have a pile of stained, stained glass there, and then you're just going like... Like that, and then shoots 20 or 30 pieces at Daredevil over the course of a couple of seconds. Um, look, if I, I suspect that the, if, if Mark Steven Johnson walked in here, first of, all, first of all, I would say, get out, sir. Your movies are not very good. <laughs> um, but then I would say, now joining the podcast is Mark Steven Johnson. He would probably say, you know what, we're, we're bending reality a little bit because it's uh, a comic book movie. You can look at any comic book movie and there's these moments where you just accept it. You know, uh, in Spider-Man, when he's chasing the guy that killed Uncle Ben, he kind of like goes, he, he, go, he descends from up above, upside down, and then goes back up. How does he do that without moving? Okay, that, you know what, it's 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 comic book movie. It's just more glaring when it doesn't work. That's the bottom line with this whole movie. The holes are bigger holes because the good parts aren't knitting themselves together. Will we see Bullseye in the Netflix TV show? That's a really interesting question. I don't I don't know the Daredevil uh, world well enough to know. I mean, I know he certainly is one of the top bad guys. I would suspect that given the breadth of the cast that there already is, and given that you can spend story time exploring the problems and the happiness and the sadness and, and the frustrations of so many of these characters, uh, I think that you can just have episodes where the conflict in this episode was, uh, you know, Matt is trying to hide the fact that in the first act he got, you know, he got a broken arm being daredevil 
and he's trying to keep that from the people around him. Meanwhile, we're seeing Kingpin moving the the the, the chess pieces of organized crime in the city, and that kind of slower pace. So I'm going to vote no for Bullseye, and if Bullseye does show up, perhaps in a minor way, I, I think that if Bullseye showed up in the show with Daredevil and Kingpin, all of a sudden it's ghosts of this movie. What do you think, Pete? Well, I know you know. So I won't even ask that. I take that back. You, 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 you just gave me the wave off of I cannot tell a lie, so do not ask the question. How, how you do these things, I don't know, Pete, but it is what it is. Pete, you know what else is what it is? The fact that we have some fantastic listeners going above and beyond helping us out with our podcast expenses for bandwidth, storage, and the like. If you would like to lend a hand, dear listeners, head over to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash fantasticgeek. We have some little ways to say thank you because, indeed, we do appreciate uh, the help in uh, bringing you the podcast each and every week. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. And Pete, we are debuting something for the Daredevil podcast as a way to make sure that uh, people can get their thoughts and reflections to us. If on Twitter, you uh, whether you're tweeting at us or not, hopefully you're tweeting at us, but make sure that you use hashtag DD podcast. That'll be uh, that'll just make it so easy for us to uh, locate your comments and get to them. Uh, of course, once the series starts, I, I think we in the audience, we're going to be a little bit out of sync because we're going to be. Uh, you know, doing a number of episodes ahead of time as the as the uh, as the season starts anyway. But this way we can be we can be getting to your comments easily. And Pete, we have somebody who used hashtag hashtag DD podcast. And uh, who is it? What did they have to say to us? The archivist at that archivist writes, hoping to see Creel battling Daredevil's father in the show. Uh, yes, referencing that uh, kind of teaser image, the poster of uh, Crusher Creel versus Jack the Devil Murdoch, which immediately lit up Twitter saying, but wait, we saw Crusher Creel back in the present time fighting uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and so forth. How could that be? Um, I don't know how that could be. I mean, I guess the easiest answer could be, oh, he has he already has the superpowers of sampling interesting textures. Perhaps he is an ageless wonder like uh, like Sky's mother. And uh, I really hope, really, really hope that we can see that actor fighting Jack Murdoch. You don't even need to give the explanation in the show of, oh, he doesn't age. If it's the same actor and he looks the same age 25 years ago in the Jack Murdoch era uh, th- that he did in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this year then he does not age, then we can just figure that one out and it's a cute connection and that's all I need. Yeah, I think it could certainly be a nice callback to the Marvel TV mothership in the appearance early in the second season for uh, Creel and just a nice thing that people who have paid attention across the different TV shows would pick up on. Which for a lot of these connections, that ultimately is the purpose, to enrich the the consumption experience and not to be like, oh man, well, what because this and then and then Colson's gonna become the vision, and then the vision is gonna fight Ultron in the movies. It's it's not connected to that degree. It's just to say, 
it's these little reminders. Hey, this is one large universe and some people are fighting at street level and some people are fighting, you know, uh, the robot army in, in Europe and so on and so forth. But it's all kind of happening concurrent to each other. Pete, when next we talk, which will probably be uh, just a, a final preview episode, maybe the weekend before uh, Daredevil launches on April 10th. By the way, launches worldwide on Netflix. Um, hopefully we can read some uh, podcast reviews. How can people do that? On iTunes, if you search Fantastic Geek with a PH, uh, not only do we really uh, appreciate and take to heart your uh, heartfelt feedback and reviews you help other listeners find us by reviewing us so please get on itunes and uh leave us a little something something and help everybody out by the way pete on the topic of itunes or rather on the topic of not itunes uh we had somebody ask us this week they're they're kind of not inside the apple uh ecosystem uh they asked for you know what is the direct feed to one of the podcasts i think it was agents of shield just want to tell everybody, uh, you can always head to fantasticgeek.com. There's a tab there for iTunes and feed, I believe is what the tab is called. And uh, you can just get the direct feed link there for whatever device uh, suits your fancy. And Pete, speaking of people having their fancies suited, so many people enjoy interacting with you on Twitter. How can more people do so? New Daredevil friends. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, J, Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 5,381 followers. Can't be wrong. Wow. Hopefully, they're not all from the Bronx. No thonks. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you, dear listeners, can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with a PH. You can find us under that name on the Twitter, the Gmail, and the dot com. Always just the place to be. And Pete, of course, there is one more place that the people can be in touch with Fantastic Geek. Get yourself over to Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek, again with the PH, one word, and like us. There you'll be able to interact with polls, videos, pictures. You can call us names, etc. Fun, fun, fun. Well, with that, Pete, though the Daredevil theatrical cut and director's cut, uh, neither were fantastic. I will just say, let's forget about it and leave you with your final word. Come on along and ride on a fantastic horse. Slide, slide, slippity slide. The Daredevil do what he do just to survive. So I can live my life and maybe eat some steak with my beans and rice up. Place where my kids can play outside without living in fear of a drop by. And even if I get away.